Liz, it can be really hard for people to unplug from work when they're on vacation. Amen. I know. I had a client once. He and I had been working together for about four months, and he planned a vacation to go away to Costa Rica for a week. He was very involved in his organization. I mean, he was known, frankly, he was known as a bit of a micromanager. So we decided to create a little experiment when he went away from vacation. And he promised me, he said, Larry, I'm going to unplug. This is a perfect chance for my team to step forward, really own stuff. I'm out. I promise I'm just going to be available by telephone if they need to get me. I didn't trust him, Liz. <laughs> you, you knew he couldn't pull that off? I knew he couldn't pull it off. So I went to his boss, the CEO, and I said, hey, would it be okay with you if when he leaves, we shut him off from his email access? I can't believe you did that. Well, I figured it would be an interesting test. The CEO thought it was funny, actually. And so he said, yeah, great. You got it. We'll shut him off. First day of his vacation, we shut him off from his email access at 9 a.m. that morning. It's 10 a.m. an hour later, and my phone rings. And there he is. And there he is. And he is spitting mad. And he said, I can't believe it. You told my people. And by the way, the IT department who turned him off reports to him. <laughs> and, and what we told him is, you tell him that Larry and the CEO, Kevin, shut you out of your email. He was furious at me. And I said, Tim, you promised me you were going to step away. Well, you don't know. And I said, sorry, Kevin and I have decided you're out. If they need you, they can get you. Fast forward, he comes back the next week and I said, okay, Tim, how was it? And he said, it was the worst vacation of my entire life. Really? For the first four days. Oh. And then he realized he really didn't miss his wife and his kids yelling at him because he was always running away from whatever mm -hmm. they were doing to jump on the phone. And he said, you know, I guess they probably don't need me as much as I thought they did. It was really an unusual and extreme circumstance, but what was really great and what really set the message for him was his family was responding like, hey, thanks for being there for us. Mm -hmm. That's great, but don't ever try that with me. <laughs>
Uh, one is the NFL. The hmm. NFL, you think, is stressed for the obvious reasons. Right, what sure. they do is hard. But also another organizational stress there is the average NFL career is only three and a half years right. long. But I've been in startups where I had that same feeling, like we're all in this together. And I've been at big, giant companies where something completely unexpected caught us off guard. But then there's the other kind of crisis, you know, where something terrible is happening at the company mm -hmm. or to the company, and it undermines your feeling of connection to the whole mission sure. of what the company does. So sure. a good example here would be like the people that have been working for VW lately, you right. know, when they got busted for faking their emissions data. I'm sure the people at Uber right now are under a huge amount of stress yeah, you bet. because of the level of scrutiny and culture change and all of that. It's So it's not so much like what is the organization's plan, but when you're putting your heart and soul into your job and then you realize there's something rotten at the core or yep. the company may not have the values that you thought they had, that is a terrible situation to find yourself in. A giant conspiracy at the heart of your company to defraud your customers. Yep. That is not something you can just get over. Especially the senior leadership that's often already fairly separated and segmented from the rest of the employees is even more so because in a way, they've got their hands on the steering wheel, right? They're mm -hmm. controlling how do we respond? What are we going to do next? And when the people weigh down the chain, they're cut out from the information. They don't feel like they have their hands on the steering wheel. They get even more anxious. And oftentimes the leaders at the top underestimate how wavy and turbulent it is beneath them. I've always felt like the most important thing for me as an employee is to understand what role I play in the success of the company. Mm -hmm. I don't mean success like writ large, but like, what's my deal here? What am I contributing right. to the greater good of what we do here? Mm -hmm. It's mission driven. It's also values driven. In the few occasions in my life where I have felt very disconnected with that, getting up and going to work in the morning becomes super hard. It has almost nothing to do with the amount of work that you do. It is entirely to do with the level of satisfaction that I could get from my job. Because mm -hmm. if I know that I am this little cog in the wheel down here, but I'm contributing to this larger thing that I can get behind, all good. But if all hell is breaking loose and there's nothing I can do to fix that and I no longer understand what my contribution is here, then that is a deeply unsatisfying and unsettling feeling. Those are the moments that define people. You know, mm -hmm. people, your, your character shows through. Do you get selfish? Do you pull back? Do you try and protect yourself? Or do you reach out and say, look, here's what we're going to do. Let's pull people together. Let's share information. Let's try and solve this problem. People's characters and, and frankly, I think companies' characters get illuminated when times are tough. You know, when it's all good, it's easy. Yeah. But when it gets really, really tough, there is a bonding that happens. And when you've been through a storm with somebody and you come out the back end, there's usually more trust. There's often more respect. Often you've learned how to let go of the little things and just pay attention to what matters. It can be powerful. Yeah, I think you you also have an opportunity to contribute in a new way. Not to say that you can That's be totally right. opportunistic about some terrible crisis, but, you know, the reality is... Like stuff is going down and all kinds of people are out of their normal roles. And if you can be someone who picks up an important piece, whatever it is, Absolutely. at any level, if you can pick up an important piece of what needs to get addressed and do that effectively, 
you have the opportunity to show your colleagues up and down the chain that you have these skills and abilities that they have not seen. Well, we're going to get a little taste of that today at Pen and Pencil. Yes, indeed. But first, we wanted to talk to two of the writers. So joining us now, Jason. Jason's the informal lead among the writers. He co-wrote The Comment Box. That was a a funny episode. He's also the creator of Atlas Phillies Daycare on Twitter, which is currently being developed as a comedy by Hulu. And Amanda is a comedy writer and publisher who's featured on The Verge, Publishers Weekly, and AV Club. She's co-author of We Don't Think You're Racist, Soothing Affirmations from People of Color, and the author of The Best American Emails. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Amanda and Jason, I was about to say welcome to our show, but it's as much your show as our show. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to your own show. (laughs) Excited to be here. We're the show within the show. You are. So here's what Larry and I are dying to know first. Clearly, you've been inspired by some heinous bosses in your past. So we just want to hear a couple of your own bad boss stories. Amanda? Okay. uh, Let's see. I, I had a boss who tried really hard to get everyone to be friends, and it led to just like really awkward, boring, like stifled conversations within like a go-kart race track or (laughs) or like a bowling alley. And it was uh, it was well intentioned, but no one ever felt comfortable or happy about it. And so there was a little bit of a David Brent quality to it. (laughs) A little bit. He wasn't as terrible. So the boss was socially awkward. And did that spill out over everyone or was just like such a manufactured situation? It was a manufactured situation, but also in the office context, it was always just uh, quiet. Oh, God, please, no one notice me. I don't want to have to have a conversation by the microwave, you know, that kind of environment. So Office chit chat. Yeah. I'm surprised how many people write into us and say they just don't want to get involved in the office chit chat. Some people are just not small talk people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of one of them. I could fake it, but... Jason, what about you? I will say my worst boss, um, it was the only job that only lasted one day for me. Ooh, what? And <laughs> this was... I, I was canvassing. It was my first day, so... I wouldn't necessarily call her my boss, but she was the supervisor who would be taking me to Malibu that day in her car to do the kind of test canvas run. So canvassing means you're door knocking, that kind of stuff? Door knocking, standing outside of the Whole Foods. Naturally. Um, And so we had a long drive out to Malibu, and the conversations were just very inappropriate the whole way, made me really uncomfortable. And it was a very bad day where we had to hit all these quotas. And at the end of the day, as we're driving back, she wanted to stop at a bar. And it was very clear that this was turning into almost a a date. date. And it was really uncomfortable, really inappropriate stories and all this kind of stuff. And so I called the next day and said, I I can't come out. Yeah. In the midst of that, did you just try to ignore it and kind of play it off? Yeah, I was trying to deflect, um, make the best of the situation, just kind of 
keep my head down because this, you know, it was when I was pretty new to Los Angeles and I really, really needed a job. Right. There was one cool part of that day, though. I met the actor from Breaking Bad who plays. <laughs> okay, this is such an LA story. Yeah, to LA, to LA. <laughs> yeah. No, it's okay. I did not mean to no, shame no, you. No, no, no. What do you think the real attributes are of a great boss and a great work environment? I oh, think. Gosh, yeah. I mean, you said you've had a couple of good bosses, yeah, right? I've had some good bosses. I think the best qualities in a boss, I think, is someone who is able to get on the same level as their employees, but also have that distance too, where, you know, you don't want your boss to be your friend, but you want them to be someone who you can relate to at least. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a really hard balance to find, but the people who find that balance well are usually the most effective bosses, I think. And you've had that in your career. I have, yeah, definitely. And I've also had those bosses that um, have no boundaries. That's when really things go off the rail, I think. People don't know when it's time to work and when it's time to play. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had I've had a couple of great bosses, and I think what they had in common was that they, like you said, were knew where the boundary was and were also really good at communicating what they needed and weren't micromanaging people either. Like, I've had one or two bosses who were intense micromanagers. Sure. And it's just a waste of everyone's energy. It totally is. I yeah. know. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. I like having that faith in the process like you you've set up an infrastructure where everyone knows what their job is then you don't have to be like insecure about your power and what everyone else is doing right yeah. right meet back here at the end of the day and everybody get their work done that's what i like yeah. exactly yeah. Yeah. great <laughs> this may be not the most relatable example but i used to work at summer camps forever mm-hmm. and there's all these different levels of management when i was maybe 19 20 I would be a counselor, and then the program directors would only be a few years older. They would be 22, 23. There was so much camaraderie. We would hang out all day. But a lot of times when the campers went to sleep, all the counselors would be hanging out and all of the program directors would be hanging out, and it wasn't great to mix as much because even though these people were sort of your peers, they're on a different managerial level, and Mm. the more things got casual – you know, the harder it was to really be an effective manager, I would say. Well, are there particular things you've learned in your careers, being creatives, being working for other people and working for yourself that you brought to pen and pencil? Yeah. So I don't know if this has come up in the scripts yet, but one aspect about Ivan was um, wanting to relate to millennials a lot and feeling like a millennial (laughs) himself. And that came directly from someone that I had worked with. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Um, at any level is just the the person who is of a different generation right. but really identifies the most with the younger generation right. and wants to be seen. Um, that's right, something wants to be cool. Yeah. 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 really yeah. hard to be in. That's, yes. That's yeah. so true. Like uh, in advertising, there are a lot of like Gen Xers specifically mm-hmm. who really want to be seen as millennials. <laughs> and they'll like kick up their new balances on the desk and say, hey, you know, millennials like us are just constantly misunderstood. Yeah, it's like you were born in 1967. Yeah. You're not a millennial. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> you were born before Watergate. <laughs> as you're writing the show, you've got to be thinking about workplace issues and tensions and workplace truths. Did you ever find yourself as you're working on it, like, we're doing it, we're doing it right now, like we're having that thing? 
Yeah, I would say, and in funny ways, you know, when we have to schedule together and that can be really hard. So yeah. we correspond for 30 emails going back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's one of those things where I was like, that's oh, we're comedy, doing though. it. That's comedy gold, the yeah. 30 emails. And then the lunch menus also when we would yes. s- um, <laughs> deciding where we're going to lunch and just like the speed of lunch uh, was like a funny thing. Yeah, that... there were a lot of delivery jokes in a lot of the early drafts of I Hate My Boss uh Episodes. What's been really interesting for the two of you in working on this podcast, not so much about the the show itself, but just as you think about workplace issues and then doing the work? Gosh, I think um, for me, the biggest thing was the realization that a lot of these issues were not just things that we all had in common, all of us, the many people who are involved in making this show, but so many listeners, people I know coming up to me and saying like, oh my God, like, is that based on, you know, blank? (laughs) I'm like, uh, it wasn't, but I guess this is a more universal experience than I thought. Jessica is a great example of a character who I very much identify with because I once worked at a video game company where I almost never did my job. I was really good at doing my job very quickly, and then I spent the rest of my time running my other business. Um, and side hustle. That's, that's why I yeah. admire Jessica so much. Yeah, she is the most businesslike of everyone in the whole game. Yep. Right. And so, like my husband, who I work with a lot, he was like, "This is you, right? But crazier." I'm like, "Yeah, it's a little. <laughs> it's me, but a little crazier." Yeah. So for me, I would say um, I haven't had this kind of experience where usually I'm just writing comedy and everything is just in the service of of comedy. And mm-hmm. what what has been really fun, interesting, and challenging for me about this is trying to make this really funny, but also being in the service of helping people. And you know, people are going to be listening to this and trying to put themselves into it and right. drawing examples from the show. For, for both of you to talk about. And so really thinking about it on a relatability level was something yeah. that I found challenging in a, in a good way. So that certain characters are consistently representing a point of view that we need to have represented. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, saying, like, so how do you think about Stacy when you write Stacy or how Stacy interacts with people? I don't know why I asked about Stacy. Is it because I feel like she's the bossy one? And <laughs> That's exactly Yeah, right. I, I, I've written a lot of like dialogue for her that's like inner monologue for me in Thank like you so in tough meetings. <laughs> like the thing I really want to say. Yeah, I think it is a tightrope of like, especially with Lisa in particular, it's really hard not to make her sound like a complete monster. I know. Right. Um, but she's hilarious and so fun. And like, you kind of do want her to be your boss. You always know where you stand with her. But she's also kind of intimidating. I feel like Lisa is a, w- a woman I've met in business many times before where she's slightly overcompensating for mm-hmm. being a female in a leadership role. Right. So probably a little tougher than she is naturally. And I certainly relate to that, too. Yeah. Something I've found interesting, too, and I think this applies to writing workplace shows, is a lot of times in the workplace, or almost always, people are not being their authentic self. Mm-hmm. and sometimes not being their best selves. So when you're writing that, it's different than writing a show about a family. You really have to think about who would this person at home be and then who are they at work and how does that inform the character? Right. I think Ivan is the same person at work and at home. Okay, describe yeah. what you right. think Ivan does at home. We see what he does at yeah. work. Ivan like, drinks a lot of wine, I think. Yeah. Um, he goes out on dates. He might watch the Food Network, try to cook <laughs> that 
huge fish that he saw. Yeah. Right. Um, or so, he gets Blue Apron because that's what the millennials do. Yeah, yes. totally. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, but just as far as his personality, I think he's one of those people that is probably putting out their authentic self because he doesn't really have a filter. Right. Yeah. But Stacy is certainly not. That's an interesting thing to play with because a lot of times when I'm working with someone, I'll often think about like what what's this person like outside of the workplace? Sure. What's a lesson about work that you take away from writing this show? Ooh, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, for me, it's probably being less rigid because I just try to keep things on track all the time. And there's not room for deviation in my plan. So kind of seeing that in some of these characters, it's kind of made me look at that and be like, well, that's not how everybody works. And so. Right. Right. Oh, man. Jason, you and I have the same issue. Uh, That's why we work (laughs) together so well. Yes. (laughs) I plan like years in advance for a lot of things because with publishing, everything's uh, kind of a year or two in advance. And so some of my friends are like, yeah, let's just like do a thing. And it's like, no, but it doesn't fit into. (laughs) There will be no thing doing. There will be no thing doing. But the schedule. (laughs) Right. Well, thank you, Jason. And thank you, Amanda, for giving Larry and I so much to work with in every episode. You're so welcome. Thank you for what you guys do and breathing more life into this and really diving in. I, yeah, I've been loving insight it. insight and expertise. Yeah, I, I get a lot of advice from you too. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Me too. Okay, now you're putting too much pressure on okay. us. We <laughs> gotta go. Back Thank to funny. Both. Back Thank to funny. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Amanda. Liz, that was really fun talking to Jason and Amanda. Well, it's interesting to me that people that are in a creative field, which you think of as sort of, you know, willy-nilly, people just off, like, writing jokes and doing things, that they're both so disciplined about their work. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are also freelancers in fields where you're making your own way in the world. And you really have to be, well, they would both say that their approach has been to be very structured about their own Mm -hmm. careers. There's a certain truth about people who take their career in their own hands and are entrepreneurial. And there are some wonderful, flexible benefits to that. But boy, what underlies that is almost always pretty good discipline. Another thing I'd say that really struck me at the beginning of our conversation with them is that they talked about bosses with boundaries Mm -hmm. or lack thereof. Right. Because I've been so shocked, Larry, at the questions we've been getting from listeners So many of them are fundamentally about boundaries, and I would not have expected that. That is a surprise to me. Finding your voice and speaking up for what's important to you, for sure, Mm -hmm. but but the boundary issue, it's like, my gosh, people, what what are you thinking? I wonder what that really is. I've really started to think about what all these boundary issues are. And Mm -hmm. if you have bosses that are oversharing with you, maybe because I've never been tempted to do that as a boss, but maybe it's what Amanda was saying about Gen Xers wanting the millennials to think they're cool. And so by oversharing, not having boundaries, that's their way of bonding. Yeah, I think you're onto something with when you step into a leadership role, you recognize that there's a separateness there. And a lot of people want to instantaneously bridge that gap back and just be one of the gang. Yeah. And you can't. Yeah. And when you try awkwardly, you create way more problems than just be your role. It's a little different. You can be friendly. You can be colleagues. But you got to be careful because you set a tone. It's kind of lonely the first time you realize that you're not one of the gang. And I think it's the hardest transition anyone makes in their career is the first time they go from being one of the gang to being a boss, even of a small team. Because there are just lines that need to be drawn. You don't know yet 
how to be friendly but not friends. Yeah. And you want most people want to create a very collegial environment. And then obviously we've been talking about a lot about this on our show about uh, about gender issues as it relates to that. The boundaries can be very different. Yep. So knowing where the boundaries are when you're a new boss, super challenging. Yeah. I mean, when you step into that role, everything you do, everything you say counts in a very different way. And that that can be tough to navigate. So I guess I can see why people want to be freelancers because they have no boss. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, we talked about Deborah Tannen, a professor of linguistics who has studied the difference between what you say and what others hear. We can't recommend her books enough. My favorite is You Just Don't Understand, Men and Women in Conversation, which remained on the New York Times bestseller list for eight years. Wow. As with many other great books, You Just Don't Understand is available on Audible. You can get it for free with a 30-day trial membership by going to audible.com slash boss. That's audible.com slash boss. On today's episode of Pen and Pencil, Stacy has decided to take a rare staycation. I think she's getting a little sick of being the boss. And with her gone, chaos follows. It's only 8 a.m. Why is everyone losing their minds? Right. Stacy's on that staycation. Okay. Okay, you got this, Jess. Well, let me check these messages and... Oh, crap. Listeria? Thought you could only get that at the Playboy Mansion. Where is she? I can't believe this. Did you get the message? Yep. Tom and Barry's fine dairy is in a tailspin over this whole giving their customers Listeria thing, and they need some crisis management. Wonderful. That's Stacy's job. When does she come in? Guys! I saw the message. What do we do? Don't worry, Matt. I have some ideas already. As creative director, my first idea is to bring in Stacy. Dude, Stacy's on vacation. No comunicado. But that's the process. Well, I'm Stacy's proxy, and I'm going to blame Matt. He kept raving about his Casper mattress, and she got one. I sleep like a baby every damn night. I'm on the Casper train for life. Yeah, and now Stacy's on the Casper train, too, so thanks. She's not getting off that thing. Oh, I will never apologize for brand loyalty. The sink, the bounce, it came in a box. Yeah, that part is pretty dope. Listen, who knows when Stacy will be back, but she taught me some stuff. I'll call and make them chill the F out. I know you have many, as the kids say, side hustles, but are any of them, as the kids say, crisis-related? Ivan, Jessica's got this. Thanks, Maddie. Can you make sure all their social media accounts are frozen? Fine. I don't want to hear about this imploding. Lisa, Chuck, hello. Well, I know it feels sufficiently awkward having this meeting without Stacy, but I want to make sure that you're all aware of how serious this Listeria issue is, not just for Tom and Barry's, but for pen and pencil as well. Tom and Barry's is 10% of our billings. So, Ivan, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job. Yes, you are. Be 10% more creative, be 33% less creative, use 16% less company money on haircuts. God, it never ends. Moving on, this is one of those precarious moments in a company's timeline. You know, this is our chance to... Hear one of my great ideas. Tom and Barry's is known for being the nice dairy brand with integrity, right? But Listeria is a scary illness. This is a great opportunity for Tom and Barry's to make a dark, dangerous, exciting turn. Tom and Barry's, not for the adventure intolerant. Oh, 
God, we need Stacy. Big time. Uh, I'm sure my copywriters will figure it out, thank you very much. May I also remind you that Werner Westheimer is watching our play on this? I have a call with Adrian tomorrow morning. Let's not blow this. Staycation all I ever wanted. Staycation, I had to get away. Staycation, Stacy's on our couch now. Watching TV, her brain's gone away. Oh, my numbing situation, comedy entertainment. God, I hope my brain isn't atrophying. Square pies, quarters, nope, I'm fine. It's only been a day. Mm-mm. No! Why'd I turn the ringer back on? Oh, crap, Jessica texted me. <sighs> okay. Tom and Barry's Listeria outbreak trying to handle, please advise ASAP? You know what? No! Stand your ground, Stacy. This is your safe space. Stacecation. Stacy is snuggling in her onesie. Gonna eat a whole can of that mac and cheese. Yes, absolutely. We're here for you. We have our best minds on it, crafting the perfect official statement. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, great. Talk soon. Oh, didn't know that was you. How did you sound so... not... Jessica? It's called code switching, and I do it constantly. I'm a language ninja, babe. And you're in Stacy's office. May as well live that life. You ready for this meeting with Ivan the Terrible? Yeah, I only hope I have enough good stuff for him to steal. Matt and Jessica, my little ducklings. Let's talk. Are we going to lose Tom and Barry's? Do not fear. I've already found a winning strategy. Uh-huh. Lisa told us. Dairy's so fresh you might be poisoned. We're worried people will see that as Tom and Barry's acting proud of a bad product. Yeah, I agree. Too far a leap. What about offering them free cheese? It's conciliatory, and it highlights their lesser-known product line. Free cheese? My name is not on this door to hand out free cheese like some coupon agency in Minneapolis. They want smart, innovative, creative. Well, Chipotle did it when they had their big E. coli outbreak. They gave out free burritos and it totally worked. I love that E. coli burrito. Every time I go to Chipotle, I think about it. I've done it again. Matt, take a pass at the press release. Jessica, write up the social copy for Twitter. Get back to me in two hours. Oh, snap! The perp was a caterer the whole time? Oh, I love TV! Ooh, what time is it? Just gonna check my phone one more time. Not a big deal. Being casual about my inability to disconnect from work. I'm not a workaholic. I'm fine. Huh. Nothing. I wonder how Jess handled it. Oh, snap! The caterer's dead! Hey, Lisa. What's up, boss? Matt, Jessica, grab a seat. Ivan on his way? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know where Ivan is at any given. Okay. <sighs> hello, hello. I'm really impressed, Ivan. How did you make it here almost on time? Oh, I'm here for us in this trying time. Well, the social media response to our cheese promotion is looking good. Between that and the press statement, Tom and Barry's is relieved. There's less diarrhea gifts in their Twitter feed by the second. It's wonderful. I'm so glad to have you as my protégés. Oh, you should all be really proud today. 
Remember that your 360-degree reviews are coming up soon. And don't forget who helmed these two rock stars into a victorious crisis management campaign. <laughs> Noted, Ivan. Thank you. And Jessica, doing Stacy's job, especially on a day like today, that was a feat. I'd love to see more of this from you. Aye, aye, Catton. So many diarrhea gifts. It's after eight. Your work is done. Join me downstairs. I owe everyone a drink. Wow, I'm honored. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I could stay out for one. Where's Ivan? I stopped into his office and he wasn't there. I think he took the office tricycle to the treehouse. No, I saw him grab his bag after the last meeting. I'll catch him later. Hope you both like Rye Manhattans, because that's my drink. I literally just put in that seamless order. And those new pillows from Amazon arrive tomorrow. Okay, okay, coming! I knew you were home! Ivan! Oh my god, what's on fire now? I have great news to counter your question. Nothing! Hey, are you gonna fully open the door or what? It's my staycation! Can't this wait? Please, Stacy, I beg of you. Fine. I suppose I should look at one real face today, even if it's yours. Hmm. There's an unmistakable aroma of cinnamon candles and chili cheese fries. Are you watching The Wedding Planner Nights? Are you just here to critique my staycation? No, no, I love this show. So, let me get this straight. There's nothing wrong, yet you've come all the way to Gowanus. You can't deal with not being able to cross personal boundaries with me in the office, so now you need to do it in my safe space. I'll have a seat. Well, you can at least be useful to me. Okay, so Jessica told me about the Tom and Barry's Listeria outbreak. I've abstained from the news, so I don't know what happened. Everything's fine now, but oh, it was so stressful. I don't know how you do what you do, you know. That's surprisingly kind. You know, I realize how indispensable you are. Uh, we'd be in ruins if you ever left us. Hey, I'm only on vacation. I worry about it more than you realize. You know, I'm very sensitive. Sure, your ego is very sensitive. <laughs> Unfair. Listen, I know we didn't get off on the right foot when we met. That I just... was six years ago. I'm totally over it, and I thought you were too. You'd just been hired, and I always entertain the new head of accounts. But they're usually men, so I panicked when I met you. So, so just... you flirted with me just to see if I would be weak enough to flirt back. Such a lame power play. Yeah, but did it work? I can't do this right now. I thought we were finally in a tolerable groove. Then the bell incident happened. Suddenly I was back to that first day at pen and pencil. I know, and I'm terribly sorry. I'm a cad. Okay, but only because I really like you. Do you have any idea how much restraint it takes at work just to keep it from happening again? But we're not at work. Are we doing this right now? I think we are doing this right now. I guess we're doing this right now. Oh, I can't do what? this right now! What? Good what? night! Oh, man. Chaos at pen and pencil. Who would have ever guessed that this could happen, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> boy, oh boy, they've got some. They've got some good stuff going on now. Okay, first let's just get rid of the the topic of Stacy's staycation right. because here's exactly what we talked about at the top of the show: exactly. the fear that all hell will break loose if you step away. Yep, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. They need me. They need me. So what should Stacy's lesson be? I think there's a problem in our society with. 
you hear people like taking pride and I've only taken four vacation days yeah. in the last 17 years. I'm like, that is so sad. It's just wrong. Yeah. And I think some of it comes from people are driving so hard these days with the internet and the connectedness to the world. We see success happening everywhere. I think there's more pressure on people to perform and be successful and to be seen as accountable and responsible. Therefore, I will take no personal time and I will just be present all the time. That only works for a very small period of time when you're very young and very resilient. It's a bad practice. I think that's one of the biggest lessons I have learned over the scope of my career. Really? When I look at the entire span, not that I was ever the person that never took a vacation right. day, but I was, you know, not generous with myself mm. in in that realm. And now I really do ask, like, what was I thinking? Really, yeah. life is long. Work is long. You're going to be able to catch up. The world is not going to end. And I sure remember in my early work days when I worked for other people being nervous because I would schedule vacation. I would make sure it was okay. Yeah. Now, of course, I work for myself. I'm much more generous and I'm, I hopefully I'm wiser. But I remember feeling the pressure and you come back and you got to get caught up and back into things. Yeah, Stacy's doing a good job, but one especially hard thing where I was commiserating a little bit, when you're in a service business, this is not pen and pencil having the crisis so much as it is their client having the crisis. So you really do have to care when your client has a crisis. It would be one thing if this was entirely something at the agency, Mm -hmm. life will go on. But this is a client who needs to know you are always going to be there for them. And this is one of the things that makes service businesses really hard. Really hard. Because if they demand your presence, which is what they believe they're paying for, it's very hard to be the one, and probably not good for your career, to be the one that says, oh, no, oh, no, you cannot call me when you're having the biggest crisis your company has ever had. So I was surprised that Stacey stayed with it as long as she did. Certainly, some people are listening and going, let me tell you, for my job, there's no way I can step away, at least completely, even though I recognize it's important for me to recharge Mm -hmm. and get clear. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, People want to believe the world cannot go on without them, and they're afraid to learn that it does, too. I mean, we we both know people that way. You bet. And maybe that's a little bit of Stacy too. All right. So at the very top of the show, we also talked about good chaos and bad chaos. Bad chaos is when you realize there is a rot at the heart of your company. Yeah, that's right. Good chaos is that foxhole moment. I feel like what we have here at Pen and Pencil and with their client is more the good chaos variety, Mm -hmm. even though, sorry for the people with the diarrhea. But I feel like this is a potential both to be a bonding experience for the people that work at the agency Mm -hmm. and for several of them, particularly Jessica, to step up into a new role. Yeah. So if when employees or when people write in and and want to know, like, when can I take on more? How can I show people that I'm capable of more than just what's on my current job description? These are the kinds of opportunities when roles become very fluid that are the perfect time to really show up in a new way. Because anything you can do to help is good. So it was great to see Jessica really push her way into the situation, whether Ivan wanted her to or not. Jessica took that moment. And I would give that advice to anyone in this situation. Step into the breach. It's taking advantage of those opportunities and stepping forward as confidently as you can. And I think some people are like, look, I'm willing. Just tell me what to do. That's one type of service. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But what Jessica did is really, she really seized the moment and said, look, let's make it happen. And she did a really great job at that. So then after it's all over, right, then she's not sure what to do about 
getting the recognition that she deserves. Right. If you don't try to lock that in a little bit, backsliding will happen and everyone will just go back to where they were before. Write a new job description for yourself. This is your moment to say, okay, here's what I learned. Here's what I showed you. Here's what I can do. Mm. Like really make sure you step up in that moment, but in a constructive way for your bosses. Because once the crisis goes away... Human nature is that everyone People's wants to go back to normal. Fast. Right. Yep. And that's so disappointing. If yep. you feel like you have made a unique contribution when the chips were really down yep. and then everybody just forgets about it, that is going to make you really feel bad. But it's a moment to treat it as a business opportunity to say, okay, look what I proved here, not just what my own personal skills are, but in this organization, we need someone that can do X or Y. So it, you didn't just feel a need in the crisis. It is a need that is around more than people had imagined previously. Yeah, and it's you're doing an analysis of the situation that happened and saying, look, here's the business need we had. Here's the gap we had. Here's how we stepped forward and did that. And this is the role I'd like to play in that. I think it's a perfect moment. Yeah, because I think most bosses, here's what you think to yourself after the fact you think, oh, God, please don't let that happen again, right. right? Like, oh, my God, we survived, but that was bad. That's why it's good to be the person that says, okay, that could happen again. And in the event that it does, next time it won't be such a mad scramble, especially if you have someone like Ivan in your organization who never wants to give credit to anyone for doing anything. You know, we've gotten so many letters from people that are like, I don't want to do anything self-promotional. I don't want to take credit. Right. I don't like for God's sakes, people promote yourself. <laughs> Take credit in the moment. It, that doesn't mean showing off. You don't have to be difficult or annoying about it, but you need to be able to say, here's the contribution I made. I loved doing that. That's I would right. like to keep doing that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Dare we even talk about that last scene? Ugh. So Ivan shows up at Stacy's apartment to confess his love. This is going nowhere good. So you're just against office romance? I... Oh, if at all possible, yes. Really? Oh. I know that we'll have upcoming episodes about this, but I feel like for these two, <laughs> things probably won't turn out well. No. But I have seen many office romances turn out okay. You can't follow people home. It's just, it's not good. Okay. I, I agree with that. Never follow people home. Yeah. Moving on. We are getting ready for a really exciting special episode about success stories called I Dig My Gig. Woo! And we know you've got lots of them. As we've said from the beginning, even though our show is called I Hate My Boss, our goal is to help you be more fulfilled at work. And while many people call us with the problems, for every one of those, we know there are many more opportunities, success stories, good things happening out there, and we want to hear about them. Please send us your stories. You can email, you can voicemail. Every single one will get a special special present the I hate my boss stress ball we love them so you can call us at 424-224-5711 or email us I hate my boss at wondery.com and we want to know what you think of the show so please leave us the review on apple podcasts go to our show page click reviews then write a review if you're not in the mood for writing you can just give us five stars and call it a day this episode was hosted by me Larry Seal CEO and founder of Engage Leadership and Liz Dolan boss emeritus and satellite sister the comedy segment was written by amanda meadows yay amanda directed by drew defonzo marks ivan was played by eddie santiago stacy by karen bond lisa by julie brister jessica by ego wodin matt by justin michael chuck by spike spencer jonathan by jim meskinen d by stephanie shea the original theme song was composed by martin blanco 
Audio engineering and design by Misha Stanton, special consultant Julia Smith, produced by Cerise Castle, executive producer Jeffrey Glazer. Created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy, but you don't have to. Thank you.